But we're in this series called Split. Everybody say Split. Yep. And the idea behind Split is, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of ideas. But the main idea is that we go on living our lives, and at some point, we are confronted by God. Maybe it's through being invited to youth group. Maybe it's through our parents telling us. Maybe it's, maybe it's through uh, just see someone passing out those little orange Gideon Bibles at school or something, and you, and you picked one up and you read it. I don't know what it is, but at some point, we are confronted, stopped in our tracks by God. And we find ourselves at this, like, this, this wire, this fork in the road, this split off of the road that we were on, and we see two clear paths. We see one that, of the direction that we were going. We see one of the direction that God wants us to go, and it's split. We have to make a decision, right? And these instances of, of, of the split happening isn't just when you first get saved. They happen for the rest of your life. There's moments for me to this day where I find myself, where God stops me in my tracks, and he's like, Brett, you got to make a decision here. What are you going to do? And I think about if I want to go this way or if I want to go this way, right? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? And so last week we talked about how God's word confronts us. And we had this goofy illustration about how if we take just pieces of God's word and try to bake a cake with that, we end up with the wrong ingredients, right? We end up with a, a bad cake with expired eggnog and motor oil in it, and we can't eat it, all right? So if we want the cake to turn out how it's supposed to, we got to follow all the rules, all the directions, right? This week, the title of today's message, if you take notes, is God's love confronts us. God's love confronts us. Last week was God's word. This week it's God's love, right? Raise your hand if you've ever been stopped in your tracks by someone loving you so, like, unexpectedly uh, that, that it just blows your mind. Raise your hand if you've ever had someone that loved you just, just crazy. Unexpectedly, uncalled for, <laughs> really fa- really out of pocket. No, I'm just kidding. Someone just decided to love you. And, and, and it makes it even sweeter. Have you ever had a stranger just love you for no reason? Like do something really loving to you? Anybody ever had that? Raise your hand if you ever had a stranger do that. Where you're like, why would you do that for me? You don't know me. You've got no skin in the game. But you decided to love me. We feel stopped in our tracks at that moment. What? Because honestly, good, bad, or indifferent, we expect our parents to love us. We expect our friends to love us. We expect the people we love to love us back. But for some reason, we don't expect the stranger to love us. We don't expect the Samaritan to pick us up and bring us to the hotel to find health and restoration, right? Let me give an example. Um, speaking of the UFC, I had this PE teacher in eighth grade, all right? Coolest PE teacher I've ever had. His name is Mr. Tyone. Everybody say Tyone. It's like pepperoni, but with like a tie instead. That doesn't make sense. But it's Tyone, okay? It's, it's, it's spelled Tognoni. But 
Anyways, he was dope. He's the best PE teacher of all time. Super cool. Also, added coolness is he's a UFC referee. Like like a big time one. Like he, he refs like, you know, good fights. I don't know if he does as much anymore, but he used to. Um, but he's kind of a big deal. We see him on TV and stuff. I didn't know this at the time. I knew he was kind of like roughing fights, but I didn't know he was a UFC ref. But anyways, at this time in my life, I would say that our family was like, we were doing all right. Like we weren't poor or anything. But we had just got out of a season where we where we were, and so I think I was still in the mindset that we were, um, if that makes sense. When when my parents when we moved to uh, Las Vegas, we were never poor. But when we moved to Las Vegas, my dad took a huge pay cut, and to just pay the bills every month, my dad was taking like a thousand dollars out of savings every month, and so we were we were. Uh, my mom would pack our, our, our lunch with the brown paper bags and be like, hey, make sure you bring the bag back. You know, and I was like, it's paper bag. Why do I need to bring it back? Because <laughs> we need to save the money. You know what I mean? Uh, bring back the Ziploc, too, so she could wash it out and put a new sandwich in the next day. Uh, just just a hint of ghetto. You know what I mean? It's cool. Uh, so here's what happened. Eighth grade, but things started happening differently. My mom's real estate business took off. So we were pretty good, but I, you know, I still was in that mentality. Like I got one pair of shoes a year on my birthday. I had to wear those the whole year. I had one pair of jeans and rocked those. A few t-shirts, like five or six. But anyways, it came time for PE, and I was like, Mom, I need another pair of shoes. I know we're only allowed one pair of shoes a year, but I need like PE shoes. So she's like, fine. She took me to like Ross or something and bought some booth tennis shoes for like five bucks and so I went and literally the first day the first day we're, we're running around whatever the sole of my shoe just rips off the bottom of my shoe and I was like oh my god and then I was thinking to myself I was like there's no way I can go home and be like hey mom can you like can we run that back and get another pair of shoes like it was literally the first day and so I was like I'm just gonna have to do PE in my vans or whatever but Mr. Tyone saw it and he didn't say anything um and I left my shoes there in the locker room. The next day they were gone. So I bet he took them and looked at them and saw what size they were. Because the next day when I came in to pee, I'm putting on my Vans. And, and, uh, and Mr. Tiny goes, hey, Brett, can you stay behind when everybody else goes out to the gym? Because we were in the locker room and everyone got to the gym to start PE. He goes, hey, can you stay behind when everyone goes out to the gym? I just want to talk to you for a sec. I was like, what did I do, right? Mr. When I was in sixth grade... I got in my first fight, and Mr. Tyone was was a part of it. So, but I was like, dude, that was two years ago. Like, I don't think I don't think there's any reason for you to yell at me now. Like, but you know, when you're young, you trip about everything. So I was like, racking my brain. But anyway, so everybody goes out, and Mr. Tyone is like, hey, come here, come to my office. I was like, oh shoot, I'm in bad trouble. I don't know what I did. I didn't punch anybody. I was, I was like rack, racking my brain. What did I do? And uh, and he and he pulls out these brand new pair of Nikes, like tennis shoes, and he's like. Hey, bud, I noticed your shoes uh, got jacked up yesterday. I, I just had these laying around. They had the tag on them. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Serious? He's like, yeah, man. I, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to use them. You have them. I was like, oh, sweet. And I go and put them on. They're like nice. Dude, they're like a $100 pair of shoes probably. And he just went and bought them for me because my shoes ripped the day before. And it stopped me in my tracks. I, I didn't. I didn't know Mr. Tiny that well. Like I said, he, he covered me one time when I thought I killed somebody in a fight, and he was like, don't worry, we're chill. I'll tell you that story another time. So that was like our only other interaction. Other than that, he's just my PE teacher. And I was like, dude, I don't, 
I don't know you that well. And like I said, this was the first day of PE, so we're not like close or anything. But he, after his long day at work teaching PE, went to the mall and bought some kid a pair of shoes for no reason other than he just wanted to. That kind of love is crazy to me, you know? Imagine loving somebody and not expecting anything back. He knew I, wasn't, I didn't have anything to offer him. He knew I didn't have anything to give him back. He wasn't buying me shoes so that I could invest into his company. Like, <laughs> There's no reason. What if we loved like that, right? Now, we see, we see in the Bible and we see in our lives this, this incredible love from God. And I, and, I, and I think like an encounter like that with Mr. Tyone is like a, a small glimpse of what the love of God can look like. For no reason at all, God loved us, even in our mess, even when we didn't deserve it, even when he wouldn't get anything back for it. He loved us. Even when we'd put him on the cross, he loved us, right? This crazy love is illustrated John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Is it up on the screen? Oh, there it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the entire world, no matter what, that he gave his son. I wouldn't give Vince up for any of you. I'm sorry. I love you all, but no. If someone was like, hey, Brett, it's Vince or Jackson. I'd be like, Jackson, you've lived a good life, bro. Like, let's keep it real. It's been fun. But, like, you know, uh, I'll pull the trigger. No, I'm just kidding. But it's like, like, listen, I'm not, I'm not giving up Vince for none of you. I love you, but not that much. <laughs> not that much to give up Vince. But God so loved all of us. Even when you ever met a friend who just doesn't believe in God, I don't believe in fairy tales. God loves that person so much that he sent his Vince. That's crazy to me. Because like I said, I'm not, said I'm, I'm not giving Vince up for nobody. Doesn't matter. A trillion dollars. <laughs> He's mine. Don't matter. But for God so loved the world. It's a crazy love. If we really, really get the picture, it's a crazy, crazy love. God's love is powerful and perfect. And there's this story in the Bible that's beautiful and it illustrates it awesome and it illustrates a split. We're going to talk about it and I'm going to do an illustration. It's going to be really good. And I'm going to try and talk a little bit faster because I'm running late. But here's the thing. Turn in your Bibles if you have them to John chapter 8. Everybody say John chapter 8. All right. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you got it on your phone, if you got a real Bible, whatever it is, we're going to have it on the screen. John chapter 8, 1 through 11. It's a story of the woman caught in adultery. You might have heard it or read it before. The crazy thing about this story is that Jesus had been, had been performing miracles. Jesus had been loving on uh, the people that he was encountering. He'd been healing the sick. He'd been doing all this crazy stuff. And the Pharisees are so mad. The Pharisees are mad. The Sadducees are mad. All, everybody's mad. And they're trying to catch Jesus breaking the law. Because here's the thing for us. The Bible, for us is a suggestion nowadays. You probably should do this. The Bible for them was law. You break it, you die. So it's different. That's why it's called the law. For us, it's like, hey, I really hope you read your Bible. Back then, it's like, if you break this rule, we're going to put you in the center of a bunch of people and throw rocks at you until you're dead. Pause. Right? So it's crazy. Okay, John 8, 
1 through 11. I'm going to pull it up on my phone so I can read it and I don't have to look back at the screen. But it's going to be the same because we planned it that way. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> gotcha, bud. Okay. But Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Say it with a little swag. Jesus. All right. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Raise your hand if you like olives. All right. There's a whole mountain of them. We can find it later. Um, <clears throat> at dawn, which means when the sun comes up, right? At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. So this woman, there's two, two scenarios that could have happened here. This woman was married and was cheating on her husband, essentially. Or she was unmarried, but the, the guy was married, and she was involved in that whole situation. Does that make sense? Bad situation. We don't need to get into too much details. It was rough. But here's the thing. I want to I do one thing for us. When we read this story or, in this, or when this story is talked about oftentimes, we, we, we catch ourselves painting a picture of the woman that she's like innocent and perfect and that these guys are just evil for trying to hurt her, right? The extent that they're trying to hurt her is very evil, but she also did something very wrong. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? Hurt a lot of people. If she had a family... She hurt her family. If he had a family, she hurt his family, right? Homewrecker type stuff, okay? So we're just, both people are very wrong in this situation. I just want to make that clear so we're not only mad at one or we're not only seeing one side of it, okay? And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Stoning is is like when you put the person in the middle and everyone would throw rocks until they're dead. Gnarly. <clears throat> so he says, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they're trying to get Jesus to break the law so they can stone him. Does that make sense? Everybody? Because the Bible wasn't a suggestion back then. It was... The law, okay? But Jesus bent down like this, right? I'm not going to go all the way down because I won't get back up because I got a big bandage on my leg because I hurt it last night. Um, it's not actually that big. It's just a little Band-Aid, but I don't want it to fall off because that would be gross. Um, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger or draw on the sand, as some people will say. So Jesus is just going like this. Who knows what he's writing? I don't know. Maybe he's... Maybe he's counting all of the Pharisees' sins. Maybe he's writing all of their names. Maybe he's writing their mom's names. Yo, mama. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's just doodling because he's thinking. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. And then he stooped back down and wrote on the ground. So they're like, what's up, Jesus? Should we do it or not? What, what do you say? What do you say? And he, he looks up and he goes, all right, whoever of you has never sinned before, go ahead. Throw the stone. 
Then he goes back to drawing. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. There's a couple reasons that could have happened. One, the older ones probably sin more because <laughs> they've lived longer. So they're like, oh, yeah. Dang. And then they walk out. And the other thing, though, is in this, in, in this kind of uh, 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 format, the older ones would have probably been the, the rabbis that had apprentices. And so the younger ones were waiting for the older ones to make a move. So if the older ones would have thrown a rock, the younger ones would have sent it. So the fact the older ones walk away wasn't because they were necessarily the wisest. It was just because the other ones weren't going to do anything until the older ones made a decision. And so when the older ones walked away, everybody else. There's a little background theology for you. <laughs> okay. Context, if you will. But anyways, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, older first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. It's just Jesus. In the woman. Anybody know good things happen when it's just you and Jesus, right? Jesus straightened up again and he asked her. He said, woman, not bad, not rude though. It's like more of an endearing term. Like, I don't know. Hey, friend. Uh, Where are they? He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. He said, who's condemned you? She said, no one. He goes, then neither do I. But go and sin no more. So I see four things here. Everybody say four. Four things here that I want to talk about that I think could really be life-changing for us. But first I'm going to pray real quick because I want all of us to... Uh, just get all of all of this as much as we can, okay? So God, help us, Lord, to get rid of all distractions, get rid of all uh, things that are holding us back in this moment, but, but to hear only your words, only what you want us to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Okay, number one, what does God's love do in the split? Right, we see this massive split. People want to kill her. She wants to live. Sin, sin, bad. There's a split. What does Jesus' love do? It convicts us, number one, it convicts us when we're unloving. God's love convicts us when we don't love. When we are encountered with God's love, we are stopped in our tracks if we're unloving because it shows us what we're doing wrong. The Pharisees were not loving very well. They loved words on a paper more than they loved this image bearer of Christ. And so God's love convicts us. God's love feels angry at us if we're unloving. It feels like it's against us. And in today's age when everything is supposed to be for you, God's love will be against you if you're not loving. And then by default you will think that God is against you. But he's not. You're just turned backwards up against his love. Jesus said, he who is without sin among you, throw the first stone. Right? The Pharisees were caught in their hypocrisy. Jesus' love confronted them. And just like many of us, we are found oftentimes not loving somebody 
for whatever reasons, maybe they're different than us, maybe we're jealous of them, maybe they look different than us, maybe they, they talk different than us, but for some reason we decided in that moment we're going to not love them, and God's love confronts us. We're caught in our hypocrisy. They were caught seeing God's image as something else. They pushed for a life to end instead of a life to be transformed. Right? Have you ever found yourself here being the one who's not as loving as you should be? Right? Seeing someone as less than you are because their sin is on display and yours is private. Right? Well, they got caught. I would, I would never do something like that. Well, you do. <laughs> Nobody knows. God's love convicts us when we're not loving. Number two, God's love convicts us when we love unrighteously or lustfully. So some people think like, oh, I'm not unloving. I love everybody always. Love is love. You know, whatever it is. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting crazy today. But I love everybody always no matter what. And I accept everybody always no matter what. And I affirm everybody always no matter what. Listen, anybody and everybody can walk through the doors of this church, but they have to, like the rest of us, admit that Jesus is Lord. And so love isn't just this emotion. Love isn't just like, I, I get to love however I want to. No, no, no. You're also going to be confronted by God if you don't love the way he wants you to love. If you don't love in the purest form of love, right? And none of us are going to get this right all the time, and so we're going to feel convicted. But here's the thing. We don't get to love however we think we should love. For instance, Vince really likes to play with trash cans. I don't know why. It's gross. But you know what? Sometimes it's dangerous. If I had a nice Henry's root beer and a glass bottle, let's say it chipped or something, I broke, it broke, and I throw it in the trash can. And Vince is playing in the trash can. And I and I yell from across the room, Vince, get out of the trash can. And I go over there and I grab his hand, nice and firm, and I say, get out of the trash can. Is he gonna feel loved by me in that moment? No, but I love him. And I know what's in the trash can, and he doesn't know it. So you can't base love off of feelings. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like this is a loving correction that you're giving me, Brett. It's not all about how you feel. <laughs> because if Vince would stick his hand in there, it would feel a lot worse. There's some things God does for for us and, and, and restricts us from because he knows the end result and we don't, right? So love isn't just an emotion, right? Love is action, love is who God is, and love is what God wants it to be, amen? The woman caught in adultery was caught in a mess. Girl was a hot mess, right? The whole, her whole life was in shambles. She hurt some people in her pursuit for love. Right? We get so tunnel visioned in today's society. It's all about us. It's all about, hey, do what makes you happy. No, no, no. Listen, she did what made her happy. 
and it hurt a bunch of people. It's not all about doing what makes you happy. It's about doing what's good <laughs> and righteous and holy. If you do constantly what makes you happy, everybody around you is not going to be. <laughs> right? That's, that's just called selfishness. It sounds cute on paper. Girl, do whatever makes you happy, you know. Or guys be like, yeah, man, just, you know, screw her, dude. Like, she, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, do what makes you happy, you know. It's not about that. It's about what's good. Ever found yourself here where you're in desperate need of transformation because you've gotten yourself in a crazy mess? Right? You have. I have. Searching for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. It's messy. And God's love is better than that. Number three, when we're confronted with God's love, it shows us how to love. How to love Lil Wayne. Anyways. <laughs> I was about to sing it, but I'm not going to. Um, it shows us how to love. So l- listen, when we read this story, how do we, re- how do we react to it? Do we think like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how I would do it. <laughs> I've seen people like that. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why would you throw rocks at her? Stupid. Pharisees are evil. But what about the other side? Right? How do we react to the story? Here's the thing. We react by doing what Jesus would do and understanding that our default setting is not doing what Jesus would do. (laughs) We love people in their mess hoping that they'll love us in ours. It's not loving people in their mess because I can help you. (laughs) I can get you out of this mess. It's loving people in their mess because it's like, hey, I'm there too. (laughs) And we both desperately need Jesus. Right? Love people in their mess not because you're better than them. Love people in their mess for the hopes that they'll love you in your mess as well. Number four, when we're confronted with God's love, it transforms us. The Bible says his kindness leads us to repentance. He says at the end, go from now on, sin no more, right? Or go leave this life of sin that you lead, whatever the translation that you want to read it in. The moral of the story is go and sin no more. What does that mean? Well, it's weird because he just said he didn't condemn her. People stop there oftentimes. Oh, he didn't condemn her. Yeah, but he didn't affirm her either. He accepted her. I love you. I accept you. But go and sin no more. He's basically saying, I love you, and you're created in my image. So who you're supposed to be is somebody who doesn't sin like that anymore. My prof- uh, one of my professors at, at Vanguard, Dr. Bill Doctrum, says, We should always try to be more like Christ, and in that pursuit, by default, become more ourselves. Because who we are is the image of God. So if we, the, the pursuit of, I just want to find myself, just find Jesus. <laughs> and be more like him. And in that pursuit of being more like Jesus, you'll be who you were supposed to be the whole time. Call ourselves to a higher standard. Invite others to join. I'm not saying, hey, you need to do better. It's saying, hey, I'm going to do better. Would you like to join me and do better? I'm going to go and sin no more. You want to come with Right? It's not like, oh, my friend, go and sin no more, Johnny. You know? It's like, hey, I, yeah, I screw up too. I do. 
I really do. Let's, let's be on this road together, right? It's interesting, in Psalms 23, one of the, probably the most famous psalm of all, the Lord is my shepherd, you guys know that one? Shall I want, leads me by green pasture, all that kind of stuff. There's a line in there I didn't really pick up on of the implications of it. It says, your rod and your staff comfort me. You know what the rod was used for? Hitting sheep? Like, like spanking sheep <laughs> with, a, with a stick, hitting them hard? You know what the staff is used for? Going around their neck and redirecting them? Why would his rod and his staff comfort us? Because his discipline is love. And so when I get confronted, when I feel convicted, I feel comforted because, <laughs> because I have direction. Because I want to be more like Jesus. I do. And so when the rod hits me, oh, sweet. All right, I was going the wrong way. My fault? Because I'll, be I'll be going this way. Right? His, his rod and his staff comfort us because in order to be a disciple, you have to love discipline. Right? So, I got this illustration since I'm, I'm in the business of doing illustrations now. Oh, I don't have a mic stand. Okay, whatever. Yeah. We'll make this work. Actually, Ben, can you go grab? It's right back. Right, right, right here. <laughs> My mic stand is right there. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm going to illustrate the transforming love of Christ. Okay, so this is us. This is coffee, but it's us. It looks kind of grody, huh? It looks kind of messy. Like, I, you know it's coffee, but, like, let's say, like, we were, let's, let's, say, let's say we're on this mission trip, right? And we're bringing clean water to Haiti. And then you, like, run it through the filter and you're like, look, we got it. Everyone would be like, dude, what? Everyone's going to die. But the point is, this is us in our mess, in our gunk, in our dirtiness, in our sin. And this is Jesus, clear, perfect, whatever. It's just an illustration. But check this out. We walk through life like this, empty for the most part. And whatever we have is not good enough. Right? You ever felt like that? You feel kind of empty on the inside, and everything you try just isn't good. <laughs> it's like, dang. How did I end up here? I feel empty. So then you start to fill stuff with more junk. Well, maybe I'll just go out with my friends and party a little bit. Or maybe I'll go meet a few girls or a few guys find love in that area, or maybe I'll find someone who says they're going to love me, but I know they're not really good for me, but, right, we start adding to it, you know, or maybe I'll just stop coming to youth group and go hang out with my other friends, because, I don't know, sometimes that feels better in the moment, or maybe I'll start cussing more, using bad language, because that's what everybody does at school. I want to fit in. Maybe I'll leave the Christian club because I got made fun of that for one, one time. Right? <laughs> I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> but then we're like, oh, I feel more filled up. But why do I feel so weighed down? 
I got filled up, but I feel like junk. Anybody ever felt that way? Where you're like, I got my busy, my schedule's busy. I'm doing something every day. I'm filled up. Like I'm, I've got relationships, but I still feel like junk. Because we filled up with the wrong stuff. Right? We're filled up with, with things that we, we think are, are, are good, but they're just temporary. And it looks ugly. <laughs> right? And then we see Jesus, and we're like, wait a second. I want to be like that, you know? I want that living water that I'll, I'll never thirst again. I want, I want something that is eternal. I don't want something that's going to go away in five minutes that I'm always chasing. I want something that will stick around for the long haul. I want, I want to be loved by Jesus, and I want to love like Jesus, right? And so God's love transforms us not by taking this out necessarily. Here's the thing. I'm not, when, I, when, I, when I go for transformation, when I go to change my life, I'm not focusing on this anymore. All I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little bit of God's word, and I'm going to add that to it. And at first, it doesn't really look that much different. I kind of feel the same. I went to youth group one time. <laughs> Nothing changed. Right, but we, we, we keep going. And it's like, oh, well, it kind of still looks the same. Right, we keep going, 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 we keep going. And it's starting to look better. Like, wait a second. And what did we do? We didn't focus on dumping the sin out. We're focusing on adding a little bit of Jesus, right? <laughs> and my proportions are wrong, but you get the picture. Pretty soon, if I had more water, <laughs> you pour it all the way in and it turned just like this one was, Right? The point of the story is that in order to overcome sin, in order to be transformed, it's not about your sin. It's about God. It's not about trying to get rid of the junk that's in here. Let's just fill it up with something else. Let's fill it up with Jesus. When we're confronted by God's love in our sin, it convicts us when we're unloving and it convicts us when we're loving unrighteously or lustfully. Why? Because there's a push to change. There, there, there's a feeling when you hold the, the, the brown water up against the, the clear water, there's a feeling that this, this one wasn't right. Right? And so I got to change. And so, and so it shows us how to love and it transforms us because we're not ridding ourselves of our sin. We're turning away from it and we're just letting God fill us up and overflow us to the point that we, all, all the junk has now overflowed and, 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 and has gotten away from us and around us and we're only filled with what's pure and what's good and what's righteous and what's holy. Right, there's that scripture we talked about just a few weeks ago. Think about what is good and righteous and holy, right? So here's the thing and I'm, I'm, I'm done here. Next time I'll make that better. I didn't know how much water I needed. <laughs> but the, the, point of, the point of the message today is just to ask yourself a simple question. 
And everybody could close their eyes real quick because I don't want to embarrass anybody or whatever. But it's to ask yourself a simple question, a couple simple questions. The first one is, do you love well enough? Do you love like God wants you to love or do you just love conditionally? Do you only love the people who love you back? Right? And then then the other question is, do you love recklessly? Do you love lustfully? Do you love unrighteously? Where you find yourself just going based off of emotion and what makes you happy? And so the answer in the form of a question to both of these things is who in this room needs more of God's love? And you can raise your hand if that's you. If you think, man, I need more, just like this illustration, I need more of that clear water poured over me (laughs) and overflowing out of me so that maybe one day I can help somebody do the same thing. All right, I see your hands. You can put them down. The point of Echo Youth is not to get together just to hang out with friends. You guys can open your eyes up again. The point of Echo Youth is not to just hang out with friends. It's not to just have fun. Even though we're going to have fun, we're going to hang out with friends. We're going to build community, and this community here is going to be the best community you could ever find. The point, though, of Echo Youth is for transformation. Is to come to a place where, just like that, we all walk in as this this brown cup of water. (laughs) And we all walk in, and the point of Echo Youth is not to fill up our cup with more brown water. The point of Echo Youth is to come to a place where we can all stand here and get filled up with that clear water that eventually will wash out all the junk. And you just got to keep coming. And you just got to keep being faithful. And you just got to keep showing up. And, you, and, and maybe, maybe in, in your transformation, maybe in this, in, you look back a year or two and you're like, man, I'm so different and I'm so loved by God. And maybe because of that you decide that it's time to invite a friend. It's time to bring somebody with you. And the point of me asking you to bring somebody with you is not because I want this room to be packed out, even though if, if, it, if it was, that'd be cool because that'd be, that we'd be reaching a lot more kids for Jesus. But the reason is, is I don't think you are fulfilling what you're supposed to be doing for Christ if you don't bring anybody with you. And I don't want you to live a life baking the cake with missing ingredients. And I don't want you to live a life where you become the clear water and then put a cap on it. Because what good are you if you, if, you, if you don't share it with anybody else? Right? What good would I be as a pastor if I got all this knowledge about the Bible and then every Wednesday I just... And you're like, Brett, teach me about this. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's a secret. You'll find out later. What? I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I didn't share with you, right? And I don't share because I already know. I share because I'm getting filled up during the week, and then I overflow on, onto you guys. So the point is transformation. The point is for you this week to think about how good God is to you and invite somebody else to join in that. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your, your word confronts us when we read your Bible, and God, that your love confronts us. What a crazy thought that you love us so well 
that sometimes we feel convicted. You love us so purely and so unconditionally that sometimes we feel (laughs) that we aren't doing good enough, which we aren't. And so, God, I pray that you would help us not to focus on our sin, not to focus on filling ourselves up with all the stuff from the world, but, God, fill us up with you. Show us your glory. Change us from the inside out. Help us to be a youth group that starts a movement in this community, in this county of life change. Not just of of hanging out, not just of of building numbers, but of of transformation. Kids' lives change, families change because of this youth group, God. And it starts with these kids. So light a flame in our hearts. Help us to get fired up for what you're doing and help us to partner with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.